This is 15 Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and anyone interested in history, featuring the minds and voices of the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome to 15 Minute History. I'm your host, Alina Scott, a PhD candidate in the Department of History at the University of Texas at Austin. And welcome back to a new semester of the podcast. Today is the first episode of this new season, and we're talking about Black history in Austin with the founder of Black Austin Tours, Javier Wallace. Javier, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Alina. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Javier Wallace finished his PhD at the University of Texas at Austin in 2021 and is currently a postdoc at Duke University in the Department of African and African American Studies. His research surrounds issues of race, class, gender, labor migration, nationality, and transnationalism of athletes from the U.S., Latin America, and the Caribbean. He is also of U.S. and Panamanian heritage and has served as athletic director and physical educator in the Republic of Panama. Javier is an avid world traveler and co-founder of two social entrepreneurial projects, Afro-Latino Travel and Black Austin Tours. Javier, I'm so thankful that you agreed to come on the podcast because I've been following the great work that you're doing with Black Austin Tours for a while. And so I'm super excited for our listeners to hear more about all of the incredible projects that you're working on. So my first question is, what is Black Austin Tours and where did the idea for this project come from? Well, Black Austin Tours is exactly what is in the name. It is a, it's more than that. I'll kind of be honest. But what I do at Black Austin Tours is center the history, experiences, and contributions of Black people in the city of Austin, Central Texas, and the entire state of Texas, speaking specifically to what happened in that space and the contributions Black people have made um, in that space. So it can be in-person tours. It can be virtual tours or I can be doing presentations or putting stuff on social media, connecting all of the different aspects into one centralized space. I mean, and where does it come from? It comes from me. I mean, and I don't say that in any type of arrogant way, but I really wanted to tell our story. When I say our story, I'm talking about my family. I feel as though that I come from a very rich lineage and heritage, both on my U.S. side and my Panamanian side that I am just so proud. Um, of and want people to know who we are and what we did in this space. So it, it is me. And then pragmatically speaking, it was a, Black Austin Tours became an extension of what I started when I was living in Panama, what is Afro-Latinx travel with my co-founder, Dash Haris Machado. And then when I came back to Austin to do my PhD and wanting to continue to elevate our stories, it just kind of was natural to go into Black Austin Tours and what it has morphed into now. So our listeners might recall one of our episodes from last semester, which featured a conversation between one of our founding hosts, Professor Joan Newberger, and UT professor Ted Gordon, who talked about the racial geography tour at UT Austin. So we're kind of familiar with that. But can you walk us through some of the tour and what it actually entails? Yeah, of course. And, and shout out, talk to, shout out, shout out, Dr. Gordon, uh, amazing racial geography tour at UT and, and needed. Um, I think what I do is needed to help narrate these public spaces. So currently I have three different experiences in Austin. One is in East Austin and what is now known as 
well, what we used to refer to as the Negro District, the six square miles. And there I do a lot of talking about what created the Negro District in 1928, um, what happened in that space after its creation, thinking a lot about racialized segregation in the city and how where Black people found themselves under strict confines of, of the law also created congregation, right? There's that saying where Black people found, where they had found segregation, they created congregation. So talk about what it was like to live in that community from the inside looking out. Being a member of that community, I can speak to that experience. And then we walk through, literally walk through both chronologically and walk through the space through time and then go through what we're currently thinking about gentrification and displacement in Austin and kind of what does that look like in that space and how do we narrate black history publicly in a space that is changing drastically um, where black people in many instances are no longer in that space. So I always say what I do in that space is or what the city of Austin did is the preservation of black people Oh, I've said that wrong. The preservation of black history without the preservation of black people and how we can now pull on iconic markers to talk about a history of people who are no longer in this space. Um, I also do a downtown Austin tour because everything that I just said about East Austin and how it became the Negro district, which we have to center um, and also know that and acknowledge that we're black people living in East Austin before it became the Negro district. But. I think most people, when we think about black people in Austin, we not only we geographically confine black people to East Austin and we don't think of 1928 as a large scale displacement of black people from out from throughout the city of Austin. So what I attempt to do in the downtown Austin tour is narrate black people's contribution and experiences in the center part of the city. From the onset of 1839 and before, Austin is officially established as Waterloo and talk about black people in that space and particularly the trafficking of black people in this space, the enslavement that happened in Austin. What was it like in an urban space, uh, a small urban space to be enslaved? Uh, we go to sites that we can that we can connect to where some of that violence happened. The state capitol, <laughs> the governor's mansion, um, a, a, a hotel that was for, that was used to separate children from their family and sell them away. So I really like to reclaim that space in a way of we're not going to confine black history in Austin to East Austin in after 1928, because as long as Austin has been Austin in whatever way it is, black people have been here and have been here in big numbers compared to the number of people that were here. And the last tour that I do in combination, in partnership with Rowan Dock Austin, a boat rental company on town on Town Lake, or I think what they call it, Lady Bird Lake now, which is the Colorado River, let's be clear. Um, Roll Colorado Roll, which is an adaptation of a Negro spiritual from when people that were enslaved and what we now know as the United States were used. And I use that to talk about the centrality of the Colorado River to the state of Texas and the city of Austin, but particularly how it has been used literally as a vehicle, as a via, via, that's in Spanish, wow, a vehicle to, I do that sometimes, I have accidents, uh, to traffic people into 
Texas. In my family, we were among those people that were trafficked into Mexico when Texas was a part of Mexico on the Colorado River. So on in that space, I really talk about what does the Colorado River mean in Austin? How it trafficked people here, how it is the reason why so many cotton forced labor camps and plantations sprung up along the riverside um, in central Texas, all the way to the coast. Um, when talking about self-emancipating African people who were self-emancipating or escaping into Mexico, how the Colorado River could, was served as a barrier and a border, something to be crossed and something. And if you're caught on either side, the reward for people who are chasing you either increases or decreases. So all those things is to tear up everything that we've been taught and really just talk about it differently. That's what I do. And if you come on and experience with me, that's what I do on every piece of it. I think everything has a story. You show me a blade of grass. You show me an open field. You show me a street. And I don't think, I don't, I don't believe in if these walls could talk. I believe in if we just listen, we're here. So people familiar with Austin might know that Austin is home to the George Washington Carver Museum, as well as the historically Black East Austin, which you mentioned. But your tour touches like you said, on all these different parts of Austin. So can you speak a little bit more about some of your favorite stops on the tour? I think my favorite stop, it has to be the Colorado River, just because it is the literal waterway that facilitated my ancestors' introduction of trafficking into Texas. And so many things happened in that space. And when you, when I was studying people who were self-emancipating and the amount of times that the Colorado River was mentioned, um, it just took me away. So it's so much that happened in that space where people were being sold deeper south, were losing their freedom um, or continue to be subjugated and enslaved in a new country. And I like to think about what did that look like? You know, I just started a position here at Duke in Durham, North Carolina. And one thing that stands out to me in 2021 are the trees, the size of the trees here. And I think about that and it might sound trivial, but I, I encourage people to think about what would it have been like in 1830 for somebody who had long been enslaved in the Carolinas and Virginias, traveling into a new country and even the shrubbery would have seemed foreign and not a, not to mention being enslaved in this foreign place and what you're now forced to do and now having to cut down these things and clear the land. So I love that space to even think about those things. And that has to be my number one. That's what has to be my favorite spot out of all of them. And I also mentioned briefly Woolridge Square. I love Woolridge Square in downtown. Wow. The, the strength of a community that popped out of that park and a park that the city of Austin in its historical science says has laid vacant for 70 years. It's impossible. It's impossible that that place was vacant for 70 years. But what is true is the way history has been constructed to, to center certain voices and narratives that it was vacant because black people's history did not matter. But for me, being able to narrate that space without any historical markers, except one that just went up about Booker T. Washington, it does something to me because it's just a green space and people really feel it. And I feel the energy being in that space, talking about what these people were doing after they were 
liberated from from enslavement and the institutions that they were building around that space. And where the Austin History Center is now, you know, that was the first Colored Baptist Church established by Reverend Jacob Fontaine. You know, AME Metropolitan was there. The desegregation of the University of Texas at Austin is litigated and fought at that building right next to it, the Heman Twet Travis County Courthouse. So I think it's just so much in that space. I am so thankful that you came on because I've been I've been thinking about this a lot in just life and research and the centrality of place and physical spaces in the stories that we tell and the historical research that we're doing, but also the people that we're interacting with. So that brings me to my next question, which is how do you see your academic work intersecting with the incredible historical contribution that is Black Austin Tours? Well, I believe in me search. So that might sound foreign to people who are tuning in that don't know about academia um, in the way sometimes people frown on people who go in to do scholarly research and focus on themselves or topic or issues directly tied to themselves. But I think that comes from a very certain perspective when academia was not inclusive to people of color and Black people specifically, it's impossible for me to separate who I am from what I do. It's impossible. And I say that as critically and as lay as I can, because the way you see me is the way people treat me. And I have to always be mindful of that. So my academic research is Black Austin Tours. Black Austin Tours is my academic research because I have been able to access additional knowledges by being in these spaces. But then I also come from a people who have saw the value in telling our stories. And now I'm in a position where I can, people, some reason believe me because I got a PhD and I, you know, whatever, right? They just really believe what I say. And I don't take that for granted. I joke with it, but I don't play with that because it wasn't like that. We had to make it so that people would do that. So for me, all of this is my research. There's not one thing that I do academically for any journal that I cannot post on Black Austin Tours right now and talk about. Even with migration and sports, because you read my bio, all of it is sport. Transnationalism. My family, we were trafficked into Mexico when Texas was a part of Mexico. As I just mentioned, crossing borders, like enslaved people. When we talk about even self-emancipating people going into another country, not having citizenship because enslaved people were not citizens of the United States. So when we talk, when I have conversations about trafficking in undocumented people or people without stable migratory statuses in 2020, 2021, I always relate that to what it was like in the 1830s, 40s, 50s, 60s, when people were self-emancipating without any legal documentation to go into another space. And what does it mean to be pursued by quote unquote, slave catchers. And what is the difference between being pursued by slave catchers and being pursued by U.S. Immigration Customs and Enforcement right now? What does it mean to be deported back to a place where you feel like you didn't have any livelihood, i.e. back to that forced labor camp, that plantation where you tried your best to get out of and risk your life? What does it mean for people who are crossing the southern border right now in the United States, risking their lives to get to a place because they feel where they are, where they were, was home, was not, for, was, they could not make themselves have a decent life? 
So I am what I research. I research what I am and all these things going on. I don't even know if that even helps anybody, but if, that's what I do. If I look at something, I'm going to, I use it anywhere I go. Now I hear you. And it kind of brings up another question that I hadn't planned to ask, but I think our listeners would really appreciate, which is, you know, what kind of advice would you give to someone, a young student or graduate student or new PhD or anybody interested in doing this kind of me search and public history and public education? Oh, wow. Don't get me started there. Do you to a student? to a person, whether they're in the K through 12 system or they're going into graduate school or you've moved beyond that, we all speak from a place in life based on how we arrive to that place. There's nothing wrong with you being who you are. You should embrace who you are in all ways possible. Because for many times, people like us, whose persons, literally, and everything associated with our persons, including our stories, have not been valued. We value them because if we didn't, I wouldn't be able to help narrate them now. But you can never be gaslighted, never be convinced that you are not enough and that your ancestors were not enough. And you're not valid enough to be the subject of your own research in life. Do it. Objectivity, I don't believe in it, especially for students of color, because I can't separate myself. You see me as a big black man as I am, and now you're asking me to separate that from the stuff that I do. I can't get a taxi sometimes. And now you want me to say I'm I'm separate when I go in to talk to people. No, people respond to me different when they see me. So I encourage people to be their authentic selves, embrace who they are. Embrace your extraordinary, or like I like to say, extraordinary ancestors who were not Martin Luther King, who were not Fannie Lou Hamer, but who did just as many things as those individuals who we talk about every day for you. Come on, you got to do it for yourself. And, you know, that's what, that's, that's how I feel. And don't ever let anybody make you feel that you're not enough and that your story is not enough because it's more than enough. It's yours. You better own it. Whoever gave it to you, they wanted you to have it. So you better own that thing. And that's, 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 and I give that to everybody. And to my people that are PhD students and scholars, look, don't just write for these journals. I tell academics all the time, they should pay me because I take their pub, I take their work to the public. And I don't say that in any type of boastful way, but there's so much rich scholarship that exists about black people. All people, but black people in this instance in Texas, historically and contemporarily, that I only can access because of my UTE ID to get into these libraries. And that stuff is rich. So don't just write for tenure's sake. Write for humanity's sake and take those stories out and share them with the world. Share them with the world. Share, please share them with the world. So many people want to hear. So many K through 12 educators are wanting this information to take into their space. But the thing that they don't have are UT or whatever you are, you whatever university access to these libraries where these things are locked and stored away. So make your stuff as public as you can. Get your little tenure. I know that's not little. Get your tenure. Get your all those things that you need to have a decent life. But make understand there's people out here that 
can use your work to make themselves feel better and understand that we have a place in this society. And when we didn't have a place and we still don't have a place, we're going to make a way in a place. So that's what I would say. Well, thank you so much. I think my last question is really how can people sign up for this tour and what can we expect from Black Austin tours in the future? Wowzers. Um, you can catch me on www.blackaustintours.com or on social media. I do a lot on Instagram. I do a lot of posts because I can write a lot and I can put images up. So in the future, Still will do in-person tours, not as many as I was doing when I was in Austin, but I still I want to still be publicly accessible for what I just mentioned about how sometimes this work does not become accessible to the public. So I still want to like let people interact with me, but then also I'm going to work on other projects associated with Black Austin tours. Briefly, one project that I'm working on right now. And I think this is relevant because this 15-minute podcast comes out the University of Texas at Austin. And at the time of this recording, we'll be having, in at least a week, gone to Texas, where the University of Texas will be welcoming all of the incoming first-year students into the, the university. But when I think about gone to Texas and where does it come from, what were these people in the 1820s, 30s, and 40s gone to Texas to do? What were they going to do? So what I'm doing now with GTT, Gone to Texas, is centering the history experiences and contributions of individuals who were trafficked from other parts of the United States into Texas when their people who were enslaved in them, who had the desire to enslave them with GTT, Gone to Texas, and how that trafficking pattern worked itself out. I'm making resources for K-12 educators to narrate those things. And that's one of the things I'm doing. And of course, got some things in the work to be on TV a little bit more. So I can keep talking to the public. Um, but Black Austin Tours, if you follow me on any of those handles, you'll be able to keep up with me. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Javier. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Black Austin Tours, go ahead and follow them on Instagram at Black Austin Tours or visit their website, blackaustintours.com. We'll also have more information on our website, 15minutehistory.org. And if you haven't already, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 15 Minute History and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That's it for the show. Stay tuned for more episodes of 15 Minute History coming all semester long. Thanks for listening. 15-Minute History is produced at the University of Texas at Austin in partnership with Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on social media, and visit our website for more information and resources. See y'all next week.